it is about winning and people don't, oh, it's not about the process of this. No, at the end of the day, if you're doing things right, if you're right, bringing in the right kids and you're teaching the right lessons and you're living and their kids are living right, you'll, you'll win. So it should be part of the, it should be a major part of it. And I'm not afraid. I'm not going to back down from that. I mean, that's, look, that it's about winning, but it's about, you know, winning comes from, from doing everything else right. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. It's your host, Ryan Warner. It's Monday, September 18th. The World Championships are underway. Team USA having a great tournament. This morning was a little crazy. Excuse me, Sajulayev lost, Nick Lee lost. But overall, U.S. should win the team title. If you haven't been following it, go to Flow, watch some of the matches. I also plan on doing a recap episode later this week. In the meantime, new episode for you today, folks. It's Rob Cole, the new head coach at University of North Carolina. Coach Cole... Built a dynasty at Cornell, went to Stanford most recently, and just took the job at UNC, which is his alma mater. Love this conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. Fan of the week goes to our friend Jacob Kessler from Dewey, Illinois, the proud new owner of some wrestling changed my life socks. If you too want to own some merch, go to store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. And without further ado, folks, let's give it up for the great Rob Cole. Just a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back to this episode. We have a new sponsor today, folks, and it's the Wrestling Consultant. With over 20 years of college coaching experience, the Wrestling Consultant, ran by Teague Moore, NCAA champ for Oklahoma State, recent podcast guest. Teague Moore is here to help you understand the college recruiting pot process. So if you're looking at D1, D2, D3, NAI, or JUCO, Teague has the knowledge to help narrow the options from coaches, academic fields of interest, or geographic location. With over 450 programs for men and 100 for women, the Wrestling Consultant is here to help you find the right program for your future. If you or your parent wants to speak to the Wrestling Consultant, go to thewrestlingconsultant.com. Now back to this episode. Coach Cole, welcome back to the podcast. Good to have you. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. The new coach at UNC, going back to your alma mater, 
everyone's curious. Talk to us about this journey and kind of how this uh, how this came to be. Well, I mean, it's been about 35 years in the making. I, I told, <laughs> told somebody I've been uh, cutting my teeth and uh, honing my skills uh, for all this time just to get an opportunity to get back to my alma mater. Uh, you know, I, I, I we had obviously a great deal of success at Cornell, and, and we translated that to uh, future success at Stanford, where we had some fantastic classes. And I think we we set it up for for success. And the new coach is going to do a fantastic job, and I'm sure that's going to be announced very very soon. And I look forward to helping work with him and the transition to make sure it, it goes continues to improve. Um, but the reality is, I mean, I. I am an East Coast guy. My family is family's there and, and a whole lot of friends. And obviously in Chapel Hill and that whole Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area, all of my college teammates. I mean, all, I mean, there's so many friends there and my wife is as well wanted to get back and we wanted to get a home to be honest with you too, which is cost prohibitive in this, in this area. Yeah. I used to live in San Francisco for five years. It's uh it's nutty out there in Palo Alto's Palo- even crazier. <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's uh People don't believe me, and everybody say, "Oh, you know, they help you with housing out there." I'm like, no, they don't. I'm not on faculty. They don't help me on faculty. They they give us a place to live, but it's a thousand square feet. And you know, growing up, growing up, like I say, growing up, when Jack Spades hired me at, at Carolina, I was a little young. I was a little kid. I was 22, 23 years old, and and really grew up there. And we always had a nice little home and land and. And uh, you you kind of habituate to that type of lifestyle. And it was particularly difficult for my wife. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I couldn't even imagine that kind of adjustment. What was it like when you first got out to Stanford? You were coming from this amazing career at Cornell back to a program that was on life support. What what was that situation like? Well, I, I was telling someone this the other day. I said, you know, we got out here and we had no no help because all the assistant coaches and head coaches were gone. And not in possible, you know, particularly good, you know, uh, you know, uh, under good terms, you know, Ray Blake was applying for the job and, and, and then didn't get it. So, you know, he was, and he was already, he, so he was already gone for a little while. And, and then, uh, uh, Borelli was at American university. So there wasn't anybody to hand anything off to me. And then on top of that, uh, Stanford had closed down. They were not closed down. The I remember the athletic director sent out notice. He's like, "We're going to give you two weeks off because we're just coming off of COVID. And we want to." I'm there by myself, <laughs> literally in the dungeon, trying to get stuff done. I have no idea how to do things I mean, or, or logistically. You know, there's a different system for everything, and all I knew how to do was just at least, hey, I can fundraise, I can recruit, and so for two weeks until I got people back in place, that's what I did. And, uh, and I remember I ran up a bill because I flew, I was flying to Fargo and flying here and going here. And my wife's like, you know, you have about a $15,000 credit card bill because I was doing every, I was going everywhere and flying kids in and we were bringing them, we we're bringing kids out on visits with nobody here, nobody, but just me. And, and I think Grant Leaf came in and uh, that was it. So it was, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting, you know, but it was, it was exciting and fun time. And, uh, in a different, just a different little adventure for two and a half years. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I still, I still know how to get around here. I mean, I go on a road. I have no idea because I can't just look for roadside. I mean, I can't, I, I can get, throw me in the desert or throw me in anywhere. I know I can just kind of feel my way here. Doesn't work on these roads out here. You got to know where you're going. Uh, so <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm looking forward to getting back to the East coast. 
Yeah, no, that's a, I like how you just focus on the two things you know how to do recruit and fundraising. You got, you got right to work on that. Um, you mentioned Grant Leith. What was his, how did he get in contact with you? Cause that's a pretty cool story. Yeah, no, Grant, Grant reached out to me and, uh, Sorry about that. Grant Lee reached out to me. He was doing. He was working down in Florida, and I had his uh, still a number in my uh, in my phone, and uh, told me he did not like the business world and wanted to get into coaching if I if I had an opportunity. And of course, I had hired him. Uh, and and about I, I can't remember. Uh, you know, uh, he had. It, I, I I'm pretty bad at text messaging sometimes sometimes and he he I so I finally replied to his text message I called him but then I replied to his text message about a month and a half later I was like you know from Grant Leith asking about a possible job opportunity I said well I, you know there might be some opportunities in the equipment room obviously your your resume doesn't warrant uh, a coaching position you know and I sent it to him <laughs> so he gets to say what the heck uh but I always told people you know like I just was trying to hire Grant just so I could I, the story is hire him so I can wait until he's the happiest moment of his life to fire him because I, I recruited him out of out of Missouri as a high school student he went to Duke then he transferred from Duke uh, not to Cornell but to Missouri and then he beat my son in a match so I'm like I'm just I, so I, I tell everybody I'm waiting for that the perfect moment so he's really happy and just to take it away from him uh but he was the first guy in and and then I had uh, you know a, you know a, a brother in arms to be able to commiserate our, our situation and and uh and we didn't have a lot of guys were training here either so we're trying to get guys to come in and work out but it's so expensive you know if it's you know, they have housing and and they didn't have they hadn't figure out how to do that yet here uh so it was uh it was a, it was a rough first couple months and you, you're also uh we're working with enoch francois which randomly was one of my college teammates for a semester and just being around enoch like he has an infectious personality how did you first start working well first of all i've become quite the fashion uh plate now because he not because he mocks me if i if i don't have the right if i'm not right you know we, we let's put it this way we'll go out and we'll have a half time you know first match you know you'll see enoch and you'll hear the commentators talking about who he's wearing you know today he's wearing lululemon and jordan uh i don't know dolce uh blah, 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 blah. you know i don't even know the people but that's that's how it is and then we'll go and we'll have the first and we'll have a halftime show and then he'll come out wearing something else you know <laughs> he thinks he's he thinks he's at the grammys and uh so but and and then my hair i got a nice little fade he wanted to put some air some uh some lightning bolts in it. I decided not to go with that. Uh, but Enoch, I met Enoch years ago at Cornell, and I remember he was training at the at West Point. And he would, and I can, and I liked how he trained, so I convinced him to come over, and I got him a job making pennies, absolutely pennies. And uh, and so he, uh, the first thing he did, he came in and and uh, a visitor. We had. Uh, I apologize, I got distracted there. He, uh, oh, I remember he would, he would, he would come in and he'd do the lifting and the lifting would be at, you know, five thirty six o'clock in the morning. And then he would go, we got him a job at, as a, this is my big job. I got him a job working as a high school teacher. So it didn't cost me anything. Uh, and he'd work all day long and in, in the school. And then he coached the high school team because that was part of the requirements of having the teaching job. Then he would come over and train with us. And then he would go study for his PhD. And I'm like, I, and so I knew when I had an opportunity to hire the guy, I wanted to hire him. And, and so at Stanford, I mean, he's, he's been instrumental in, in all the things we've achieved, whether it's getting the guys, setting them up for, for summer jobs, 
helping with, I mean, the cultivation of the recruitment and the organization of the recruitment and, 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 uh, and then ultimately the development side. I mean, so he has made, he's made me look really good. And, and, uh, I get all the credit and he does all the work and I like it that way. (laughs) That's how it should be. That's how it should be. He's, uh, I think about, uh, one of the first times I met you at the Freedman Center, you said something similar about Gabe Dean, who was one of your assistants at the time. And uh, it's good to know that you're, you're consistent that way, coach. No, I tell everybody I might not be the best coach, but I I, rec- I recruit the best wrestlers and I hire the best coaches. And, you know, and and so people may, man, you got all these great coaches in, in uh, coaching. I said, yeah, it's because I hire great coaches, you know, and they might be young, but there are certain qual- characteristics and qualities that uh, – great head coaches and coaches may require required to have. And, you know, if you just pick kids based on that, you know, when they become men, it, they, you know, they look, make you look good. Ryan Deacon, I'm sure is going to be the next one. I see you're bringing him with, and uh, <laughs> you're going to be working with uh, an Illinois legend, Tony Ramos, which we love Tony here on the podcast. So the staff uh, is ba- basically set for my understanding at UNC and it's well now we have to go through the hiring process and and interview and do everything and and certainly I know people who I I mean I know quite a bit about but obviously mm-hmm. we're gonna see who who uh who gets their applications in yeah and um you know it's funny when you think about UNC I think about one of my first guests on the podcast ironically was Bill Lamb he was episode number eight which Oh I don't my. even know how I don't even know how that it came to be because the podcast was very small at the time. But um I mean obviously he was the head coach when you were there and and really was the first face of the program and had some legendary teams in the late 80s. What was your first experience when you first met him going down to UNC? Well, yeah, and people don't understand like how how good Carolina and NC State used to be. Well, NC State now is of course taking the next step, but it was Coach Lamb and, and Bobby Guzzo. And, and, uh, yeah, no, coach Lamb was old school. Let me tell you what, that much. I mean, you know, and, and he had one assistant coach. It was, it was Andre Metzger and, and, uh, and I actually was recruited by Andre came in and then Andre left mid year and Mark Manning came in and I became really close friends with Mark and, you know, coach Lamb lived out on a little pond and Mark lived in a, well, he had, a, and, and I just remember the, the little, the little tiny little, little, uh, it's almost like a Quonset hut that coach had. I mean, tiny little brick house, air conditioning barely worked. And uh, I just, it, this was old school. You know, they he made nothing, you know, didn't make anything, but but worked his tail off and then ultimately moved to a much nicer house. And then Mark Manning lived in that little tiny house. And and I think Mark made like $5,000, you know, and people don't understand. I mean, it was, it was a pittance and, and that was it. That was our staff, you know? And, and so we, and then when our wrestle, we wrestling room, I mean, good Lord, I remember we walk in, there's two pillars or three pillars in the room that only had a mat and a half at most. And there, so you have, if you weren't starting, you weren't wrestling. So the idea that Coach Lamb could could build a top 10 team, a top five team under those circumstances was was, was pretty remarkable. And and we had some, you know, some good kids that went through there, um, but it was not, it did not have the environment and the infrastructure that they have now to support a, a national caliber team. That's a, it's crazy how like, like small time it was and he built it up. You know, it's, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, he went in I think he was also the track coach when he first went there. I'm almost certain he was the track coach and the wrestling coach. And I'm sure if they, if you found out what he was paid, it would be, you know, literally a minimum wage, especially when the hours, but I remember you go, he'd always in that office and, uh, 
you know, he, he would, uh, you know, I, the only one thing is that we ran too darn much. My God, we ran. I mean, I, and he was, he was a great runner and he also ran the coach, the track team. So I think he was taking a little too much of his, of his, of his track coach experience and applying it to us. I wasn't very good at running, but gosh, darn, I was competitive. And, and it used to drive me crazy that I couldn't beat some of these guys because they were just built like gazelles. Um, but uh, that's the only thing I'm not taking with me from my, my Bill Lamb <laughs> my experiences. Was it just a preseason or all year long? It was preseason, but my gosh, it was a long preseason. And, and back then it was a little different because you didn't train as much in the summer. So, you know, we didn't, now it's, it's 365, you know, and, and back then you, you know, we did some camps and we worked out and we lifted, but it, it just, you didn't have the, on the mat, which to some degree is, is probably a, a little bit better for you. Certainly better for your body. You need to take a little bit of break, um, but not the whole summer off. And, and so if guys weren't in summer school, they weren't training like they do now. And, and there was some of the big adjustments that, you know, yeah, of course they had to, he had to, he had to work all summer long too, to pay the bills. I mean, my father was the same way at Penn state. And so it was, my father caught, taught class all summer long, as well as had to do wrestling camps all summer long. And so the professionalization or the specialization of coaching has changed quite a bit in the last 20 years. Yeah. I always remember a line you told me like when you got a, when you got a job or when you had assistance at Cornell, I think your dad asked you like, what do you do all day? Cause you're not, <laughs> you're not teaching too, yeah. you know? And it's like he, so for folks who don't know, your father was a, you know, a legendary wrestler, but coach at Penn state for how long? He was 13 at Penn State, but he was at Northern Iowa before that. And he was assistant coach out in Oregon State. But he, uh, yeah, he was a full-time tenured professor as well. And that's just how it was back then. You know, and I actually, when I was first at Cornell, I had to teach classes. I mean, it was activity classes, but I'd be teaching racquetball or I'd be teaching, you know, I tell everybody Nautilus, like, what the heck's Nautilus? They don't understand it was a weightlifting <laughs> apparatus. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I had a wrestling class on top of that. So, you know, I, they kept me busy my first few years. And then and over time, they allowed us not to have to teach anymore. Yeah. And you were under Jack Spates at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Jack was a great, I mean, it was great to work under Jack. I tell everybody, he, he taught me how to work, you know, really did. Uh, I thought coaching was all about just going in and teaching moves and, and Jack had a different approach. He was, he was doing it before anybody else and just, just grinding the, the, the tireless recruitment, uh, alumni cultivation and development. And, and, uh, no, I'm very thankful I had an opportunity to work underneath them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to see the coaching tree and even starting with your, you know, your father, you know, mentoring you, I mean, coming up as a high school wrestler, what were your high school credentials? I I was good, but not great. I mean, I, I think if I was a college coach and I saw my, but back then you got to remember that you didn't have super 32, you had mm -hmm. Fargo and that's it literally in the summer. Like that's the only major competition. And my team never left the district. Not one single time did we go out. And back then the, I remember the, the uh, I can't remember the, the top tournaments. There were a few better tournaments. Uh, the top hat tournament in Williamsport was a, was a great one. I remember, but there weren't a lot of these mega tournaments. If you had 16 teams in an, in an event, that was a lot. Um, and so I was, a, I made it to States three years in a row. I first year I went Oh, and one, but I lost to Ken Nell, uh, Kyle Nellis and Kyle Nellis was, who was a fantastic wrestler. And, and I remember I, but to give you an idea how tough that was, I had beaten Jim Akerley in the regions to make the state. I won the region tournament. So I think, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to be, get a good draw. Well, back then they would draw the number, you know, number one versus number three. Well, son of a gun, if he gets head, I still remember it was, he got headlocked and pinned by 
Phil Mary, who was a really tough kid out of uh, Whippeal. And he, so he takes third in the, in the darn tournament. I got, I draw him first round back then. It was, if you lost your first match, it didn't matter if the kid won it or not, you were out. So first round, I get knocked out and he wins the state tournament, walks through the state tournament. So I don't play so the next year. I remember I locked my hands with about one, two seconds to go. I never locked my hands before or after I end up losing in overtime. And uh, that was to Sean Smith. You know, Sean Smith went on to have a fantastic division. I don't know how many times, three, three time division three national champion, I think. And the person who took third in that weight class, because I lost, was a guy named Scott Turner. If you ever heard of Scott Turner, national champion for NC State. Uh, so, so it was pretty good. You know, the competition was was pretty good. And um, so, and so I took fifth that year. And so, and then the last year, my senior year, I finally like the heck with it. I went up a weight class and actually went out, took out the guy who was a returning state champion. It was OW. So, I, but I didn't have a lot of confidence. I mean, I, I only won states once. I placed fifth one other time. And I remember Penn State was recruiting me heavily. And I remember there were guys like Jimmy Martin and Matt Gerhardt. You probably never heard of Matt Gerhardt. Matt Gerhardt was, was a four-time state champ, I believe. And, and Jimmy, of course, was multiple times state champ. And they weren't even offering those guys full scholarships. And they offered me a full ride. And I'm thinking, that's not right. I, did, I literally didn't feel, I felt like they were offering it to me because of my father. I still remember that. In hindsight, I was pretty darn good because I did place fourth in freestyle at Fargo without ever wrestling freestyle before. And then I would have had 75% off tuition because my father worked at Penn State. And so I would have only been a half, my full is a half. <laughs> but I didn't know that. And if they had, if they had probably, if Coach Lorenzo had told me that, I would have felt like I had deserved it and earned it. But I didn't want to go to Penn State primarily, well, because everybody I knew went to Penn State and, and I didn't appreciate how good a school it was at the time. And, and secondly, I, I didn't feel like I had truly earned it. I felt like they were only giving it to me because my father had coached there for all that time. And, and, uh, but in hindsight, I look back, I was four time American and, you know, I was, you know, third, third twice. I mean, I was, I, I, they probably saw something in me that I didn't see in myself at that point in time in my life. And, and even though, and it was, it was only a half a scholarship because of my father, um, so, but I don't, I don't regret any of those decisions because it led me to where I am today. And I would rather, there's no place I'd rather be in, uh, than, than North Carolina. And when do you think the, the switch flip for you, where you started to believe in and really see like, that you had some real skills? Oh boy. You know, I think you grow up, you are, yeah, I, I think, a, you know, a lot of smoke and mirrors. I still think I'm this <laughs> insecure kid i really you know i you don't think yeah. you ever really change you just realize that you have to pretend and act a certain way to get what you want mm -hmm. and and for me it was i think it came from you know literally not you know, I'm always feeling like i was less intelligent than somebody else and always trying to prove that i wasn't and for me it was i couldn't read until i was going into third grade but i was smart enough to pretend not to know that to, i mean i could remember remember things and and I, I was the youngest of six. And I think my parents just assumed, oh, he's good. He's fine. You know, and I wasn't. Uh, and I always I always tell the story about getting caught in church because I would go and I would I would take the collect. I remember being humiliated because they were going over different books of the Bible. And it was a story and I had to identify which one, which book. I couldn't read the names. And so I'm pointing to something that was absolutely nothing to do with it. And everybody laughed at me and I hated being embarrassed. And so after that moment, I left. And I would go to, at the time it was Campus campus Casino and Playland were the two video arcades I would go. And I'd take my dollar that I was supposed to collect, get my, my four quarters and see how long I could stretch that out. Well, I came back one time, I got caught and and the uh, cat was out of the bag. 
And Mrs. Drylack had to teach me how to how to read from the, <laughs> my second grade teach, teacher. Uh, run! Uh, they, I think they were embarrassed. I think they were embarrassed that 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 I had gone that long without them catching it. And then so my mother, you know, read to me, and I would have to read to her, and and I hated it. But now, or I became a fairly voracious reader at some point in time in my life, and and. Uh, but I, but I think there's always that little boy who's in, in you know, that insecurity uh, is, is what drives me to some point is some, some aspect of me. It certainly drove, drove me to wrestling because once I got in that wrestling room, it, it didn't matter. I didn't have those insecurities. Um, but I said, I, you know, I think it's, I don't look back and wish I didn't have that experience because it makes me who I am now. And I'm very content and happy. Um, but as far as the actual winning or losing, I mean, I, I think that's just a slow evolution. I don't know if anybody ever really truly, you know, other than your Kyle Dake or Yanni, you know, truly believes and expect, expects that, 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 that complete confidence. And, and I always talk about Kyle. He was the, probably the most, the, probably the best at, at, at this as anybody I've ever met. And I always would talk about Kyle, how he didn't get nervous. Like I would get nervous and nervous is a form of insecurity. And, you know, you don't know if you're prepared or if you're good enough, Kyle would always get excited for a match. And there's such a difference in the emotion of, of being nervous versus being excited. You could say, well, there's, it's, it's adrenaline or, you know, no, it's not, it, it, it's, it's, you get excited for Disney world and you're, you're excited all day long for going on rides. You don't, at the end of the day, you're not exhausted. You go to a tournament and you're there all day long. If you're just coaching, after the second round, you're you're exhausted because your your hormone levels are going up and down constantly. And as I, as I always use him as an example, just a guy who who approached every match uh, like I wish I could have. If I could have done what he did, was able to master, and I do believe, as I said, I think a lot of that is innate. I don't think you know all the psychologists in the world aren't going to be able to fix that on most people or at least develop what Kyle does because it's just, it's so uh, it's almost, it's ingrained in you at a, at a, at a DNA level. Um, but, uh, but you certainly want to try to learn from him. It's not even something he's like faking. It's just natural to him. Like to like actually have that excited feeling versus, uh, you know, thinking worst case. Yeah, it is. And, and especially with Kyle, I mean, it wasn't just wrestling. It was track or football or anything. I mean, he just, he just, you know, whatever, if you're playing uh uh what's the the game with the stupid nets uh what did you have the oh, spike ball. spike ball you know what i mean it's an I mean, animal at spike i mean ball. i mean uh, other than me i don't know but he's lost <laughs> i mean i kicked a living daylight out of him but uh, did you okay. oh all the time <laughs> that's awesome and you mentioned uh the great yanni d he won his fourth last year and you, know, you can't help but think of uh, of you having a huge part in that journey, obviously along with Coach Gray and and Yanni's father. But you know, as you look back on his career, you know what stands out from your time coaching coaching Yanni. Yanni was in our room at a fairly young age because he qualified for the RTC status, and, and his you know his father. People don't you know you just mentioned it. People don't understand how much credit that man deserves in those three those three uh, kids. I mean, that guy had him in the garage and breaks down the technique and and he's he's brutally tough on him in a loving way you know people are like oh my god this guy's crazy i'm like no he's not he's not beating him up there's a difference but but nobody everybody thinks that a soft velvet glove is the only way to raise children these days you know the, the dr spock method of, fun, of child raising and we've never had more health problems mental health problems than we do so you know i i think tough you know a tough love and and stern words every now and then it's what these kids need and and so he's been fan he was fantastic um 
Now I learned from the man, you know, I, and I always, I always quote him. I always talk about, you know, his vision of, of doing what we did at uh, Finger Lakes and then Spartan later on Spartan. It was anything can be duplicated. And, and it was, and we actually built the start that there was one point where we had the number one uh, RTC two years in running. So and as far as points, we won the championship two years in a row. So we had, you know, anything can be duplicated. And so taking that kind of, mantra and, and applying it to what we're at court at Carolina, where from what Cornell did to Carolina, it's going to be easier because it, you start off with half the price. You start off with the same financial aid essentially, but now you have 9.9 and it just, it just, there are a lot of innate advantages. And, I, and we always talk, I would talk about advantages of, of there's certain schools that ha- are positioned to win and others aren't. You know, that's why I give credit Penn, credit to Penn State so, uh, so much is because one, it's very expensive. There is no institutional financial aid, so they got to be creative. And and to, to Kale's credit, they've been very creative. They figured out how to get it done. And and people don't want to give people credit. You know, I, you know, because if you do that, then you're, you're, you know, these wrestling mentalities, you're, you're acknowledging that maybe somebody's better at you than at something and nobody ever wants to do that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and instead of just trying to steal from them and, and, you, know, you don't have to real you don't have to reinvent the wheel you know just just copy it do it but do it better yeah. see I, I i would not think that penn state you would think it was, it was a sleeping giant but there was some institutional things and but you think about unc though that's a sports school through and through i mean yeah they don't we don't have the in-state talent penn state has and, and people want to stay closer to home so they have that i mean one it's penn state you have the, the football and you have you know the, it's it's a trendy school and it's a great brand right i think carolina has this that brand that brand or or better you know you you walk around and you and you see this blue shirt with that NC it's iconic uh, everyone knows what it is there's only a few schools that are like that Penn State's certainly like that uh, you know so it's it's uh, but there are schools that that achieve that are not in environments that are rich for achieving and there are schools that don't achieve success who are in really uh, you know, environment rich environments. I mean, but you think about definitely UNC and, you know, that that's a, that's a brain everyone knows, but you think about when you were at Cornell in 1989 or 1990 to think that Cornell would have more four timers than any other school that you guys would do all the incredible things you did. It would have been hard to believe that. Um, did you guys even have those kind of dreams at that, that stage of it? I tell you that probably the greatest single day in Cornell wrestling history. My wife and I were talking about this the other day was when, Kyle and 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 Cam Simons and Steve Bozak all were all Americans, and then Frank Pirelli and Mike Nevinger. I mean, I remember every, I know every one of these kids and every single moment. It's just there's certain things that you just don't rem- forget, and that was a, a kind of you know as as much as Kyle winning his fourth was was amazing, and Yanni winning his fourth was amazing to the program. I don't think there was a more historic day than having those three all win it at one moment. That to me was just like, and you know, the answer is no, I, we never envisioned. I, I never envisioned I'd be at Cornell as long as I was at Cornell either. I, you know, I always was looking to my right and left, looking for the better, a better opportunity. And it wasn't for a few years. I realized this, this might, might be here for a while. <laughs> I got to make sure we try to build this to the level which, which we can build. But I had a lot of help. It wasn't just me. I mean, and, I, and that's what I'm working with now at, at North Carolina. I have a lot of goals. We're, we have some projects we have to get taken care of. And I'm like, guys, Rob Cole, the fact that Rob Cole wants to do this means nothing to administration. We need to have major players step up. And in, in our situation, we had a couple of anonymous 
people who are who are behind the scenes. Steve Friedman, who who was not anonymous, who is incredibly powerful CEO of Goldman Sachs. I mean, you, you needed those people to you know to really push the agenda. Because if I walk into an AD's office or a president's office and and, and say, "Hey, we want a all men's wrestling center." Uh, you know, they would laugh at me. Like people told me there's no way, there's no way you're going to get that done. And in this environment, you know, the politically charged environment that we're in, it's not going to happen. Well, guess what? Arno Neiman and a couple other people stepped up and helped uh, pay for the women's softball field. So we had that, they didn't have a softball field on campus. So we did some things that made it, you know, possible on that side, and then, you know, we had, we built a 15,000 square foot standalone wrestling center. And it's the greatest contribution that I've ever been involved with. And, and, a, and Cornell ever gave to wrestling is the addition of the Freedom Wrestling Center. It made it okay to spend money on wrestling. Prior to that, you know, look at Rec Hall's dank little wrestling room that they had. And look at Oklahoma State was in the basement. I mean, they had a, they had a, a, a soil uh, track around it was it was just nasty. I was 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 like the state of the art, and it wasn't nice, you know. So um, that's the problem. That was without doubt art. As much as having great wrestlers, a lot of schools had great wrestlers, but nobody ever ever considered building a free the Freeman Wrestling Center. And then after that, they're like, hey, not only are we have this great wrestling center, but we want to win now. So we want to we want to hire coaches who are great coaches, and we're going to pay them. To, in order to keep them, keep, what do we got to do? And so I think it really helped spur uh, the growth of, of college wrestling and the, and the acceptance of spending money on college wrestling, which people don't ever think about. I think mean, before that, I mean, and, and Dan Gable, God bless him. I mean, he was an amazing coach, but he also held the, rest, the wrestling coaches back because if Dan Gable's only making $90,000, well, how the hell do you think you should be making $100,000? And, and Dan was just, didn't matter to him at the time. I think, I mean, you know, so that was, it was, uh, but, but as I said, you, you compare what you make to other coaches and, and, and other coaches in your, in your, in your conference. And as I said, there is only one Dan Gable. So, <laughs> so if Dan's willing to pay that, why the heck should I be paying you more? Right. And, and so that was, it was, that's why when my dad, when I was coaching, I mean, I, I my dad asked me what the heck you taking a vow of poverty, you know, because that's <laughs> my dad was when he retired in 19, 89 well actually he retired earlier from coaching but completely in 89 um he was he, he was making i think thirty five thousand dollars. he's a full-time professor and wrestling coach and uh that's i'm crazy. trying to remember he coached from 65 to 78 and, and that and but but when he retired in 1989 i think he was making he was like making it was 89 when he fully completely retired from the university still making 30s i mean it was it was crazy so let's just say that's the equivalent of 75 80 now you know mm -hmm. the, at one of the most prestigious schools in the country as far as wrestling you know it was it was just you know and he they worked him like a dog i mean all summer long he had a full course like full course <laughs> load but he, he liked to teach so i guess it's not so bad yeah, no, that's uh, it's crazy how much the times have changed. And, and you were talking about the the Friedman Center, of course, the first standalone wrestling facility in the country, 2002. You said something I'd never heard of before. It's named after Steve Friedman. So he was the, did he wrestle? Steve Friedman wrestled. At, and he was the he, CEO at Goldman Sachs? Oh, yeah, he was. He I got to get him on this podcast. Is he still he around? Was, Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I gotta get him he's, on. He's, he's he's all there too. Let me tell you, he'll, wow. he'll, he'll still wrestle. I mean, the guy's amazing. He's pushing ninety years old for love of God. He's I love Steve That's and Barbara crazy. Friedman. They're they're doing fantastic. Still works. Still works every day. 
He's, uh, wow. He's, the guy's absolutely amazing. But he how did be, you, uh, broker that relationship? Did you use a cold caller? Uh, he was a, a wrestler. He graduated from, from Cornell. He was a very good wrestler. He was Eastern champion. I mean, he beat Doug Blue Ball in, in the Olympic yeah. trials and, and then decided to just go to law school and, and quit wrestling. He was very, very good. Wow. And, and most of the big, our, our most generous donors are not, uh, were not very, very, they weren't tremendously successful. We have a David Hirsch, for instance, mm-hmm. who's a national champion. Dave has been very generous to us and Mike Moore mild, but, but a few others. I don't mean to mm-hmm. leave anybody out, but the, the biggest donations were not from the, the most wealthy people. Maybe those, maybe it's because they put more time into rest, into work, into school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they're making all the money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's, and I tell every young coach, I'm like, guys, if you think that you're going to get something from an administration, from an AD, because you want it, think again. And so I'm, I'm rounding my guys up now and yeah, because we've got a couple of things I really want to fix at, at UNC that can make it significantly bigger, better uh, for a very little cost. And but I know my desire has little little impact on the ultimate outcome. It has to be other people who have significant uh, influence. What's well, so exciting you're there and, and some of the projects you're about to undertake. And I want to go back to UNC as we wind down. So um, you mentioned that obviously you went to school there. You were their second national champion ever, four-time All-American. Um, but when you first got there, you know, you mentioned how you didn't even leave like your conference a lot in high school outside of Fargo. What was the culture like when you got to like Division One wrestling when you first got to uh, UNC? Well, I do remember the first match. And I grew up, remember, at Penn State. And my high school gym, I don't think we had a match that wasn't sold out the last, at least last year. We didn't lose a match in two years. We wrestled Iowa State. So I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be big. And I walk out in the gym and there were probably 40, 50 people there. And half of them were there for either to pick up the mats afterwards and girlfriends of the guys. And I asked my coach, I go, coach, uh, did they not advertise the right time or like what, what's going on? He goes, you, 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 you keep winning they'll show up. Well, I kept winning. And they did not show up. And 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 so I went to Cornell. It was one of the things I was obsessed with is I don't think, look, putting a winning team, putting a great team on the mats easy, creating a full, a big, a full, a real fan following. Like I hate to give him credit because he's my biggest competition now. But what Pat has done at NC State, when you look at NC State, it's amazing. That's that's a, a real program. That's that's building a complete program. We were doing that. We're in the process of doing that here at Stanford is, is having that following because, you know, in a lot of coaches, if they're not successful, they don't do that. There's a reason they don't do that. that. That'll get yourself fired because now you have a lot of people who care a whole lot, who are writing checks, who have, who are now become owners. And you've got the Steinbrenner, Steinbrenner effect. You know, it's like, well, hey, you know, you're, I'm writing checks. I, 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 I expect certain accountability. And so when you have coaches who are, who are not doing a good job, the last thing they're going to do is try to increase uh, attendance and following and people behind you, because then there's like, people notice that, Hey, these guys aren't very good. And, and uh, you know, so that's, but that's one of the things we are going to do because we are going to be very good. And, and one of the things I'm passionate about is, is, is building that fan base here at UNC. And they all look, most students are incredibly apathetic. They don't come to, they don't come to many athletic events outside of maybe football, basketball, and we need to tap into that, but we also need to tap into the, the general population. I would love to have a home and away with NC state. We used to do that in the old days and every match we should have, we should try to break the record for attendance. 
It would be a really cool way of, of building a rivalry and have that first match be the one that doesn't count for the ACC. It's the first match at the beginning of the year every year. Kick it off, and, and by the time, by two or three years, we know this year, look, I mean, I know the, the, you know, the odds are against us, but by next year, I expect to be able to compete for sure, you know, and, and, and we're going to compete hard this year. But by year th- two or three, we should be wrestling in the Dean Dome. We should be trying to sell the Dean Dome out. We should be trying to sell out the main venue at, at NC State. And there are other places to be able to win national championships outside of Penn State. And, and I know Pat feels the same way and I feel the same way. And we want to work together to see if we can't uh, grow this thing fast. I'm getting excited hearing about this. And it reminds me of, you know, Coach Lamb building all the way to hosting the 1984 NCAA tournament at UNC, where obviously Pat Smith won his fourth. And I know that was a, a big prideful moment for him to bring an NCAA tournament to North Carolina. You know, I'm not as keyed into the high school scene out there, but I got to imagine um, that kind of a thing had a pretty big impact. What are you seeing with the high school scene in North Carolina right now? Well, obviously, there have been some really high level kids coming out of North Carolina recently and whether they move north um you know they're they're they they were born and bred here and i think what's happened is you get a lot well you've got a lot of migration you know and you're the reason why georgia has so many good wrestlers and it's it's not because they're they're they're, there's no influence from the north these are northern people a lot of northern people coming down wrestling is they've got better coaches uh now at north carolina we have the second most division one programs in the united states of america those are those division one programs are spitting out high school high school and junior high coaches and and so you're gonna have you're gonna see north carolina all of a sudden out of the blue in the next five or six years to start developing more and more high level talent and uh, you'll notice it and it was like gosh dang cool it's like nostradamus this guy knows what he's talking about <laughs> but i had guys i had college coaches wrestle me from my peewee to my my uh elementary school to junior high to high school i had i had a penn state coach i had a penn state wrestler former penn state wrestler at junior high and high school and then the middle, my elementary school t- coaches were also college wrestlers. You know, you don't That's get crazy. that in most states. Most no. states you get, hey, whose dad, whose dad we, can we get to come open up the room, you know? And uh, and that's where you get, that's why Pennsylvania is so good. Yeah. No, I know it uh, It changed for the, the, the positive in Chicago when they started to develop these academies like overtime when they had these full-time coaches. And so it's only going to take you know, those are kind of like the super clubs. That's not necessarily the depth, but like the, the, the super high achievers, but uh, I'm sure those will be bubbling up in North Carolina if they're not already coach three quick ones. As we wind down for you, you know, I just want to start with world championships are starting this week. You wrestled in the 1991 world championships in Tokyo, Japan. Give us your, just your thoughts on just how intense the world championships are as we head into that major event. Well, I had the opportunity to go over to Kazakhstan and, uh, Budapest, which was, and it was so, and I hadn't been going to them prior to that. I went to, I went to Toronto, I went to Las Vegas, but you know, you go overseas and and I did to get the right country. It's, it's out of this world. You know, the Iranians, you've got 2000 Iranians over here. You've got the home town fans uh, to the, you know, and they, they just, they are very, very passionate and they're knowledgeable. So I love going over there. The problem is I just don't have the time to do it, you know, but, but I I'm jealous of those who are going uh, and, and it's a precursor for the Olympics. So this is important. We, you know, we need to do well and set, you know, get, we start, we need to start qualifying some weight classes and, and, and uh, 
getting ready for when the TV actually is on, because that's that's where we get the best attention. We need to do well at the Olympics, because if, if, if you do well there, you've got millions and millions of eyes on the sport. And it's a great opportunity. You, you can't advertise. You have no better opportunity to advertise. And I think what you're going to see this year is you're going to see, or the Olympics, you're going to see a lot of women's coverage. And you're going to help. That is going to translate into a huge surge in women's wrestling. Now, I just got done with a combine. We had about almost 300 kids at it and probably 75 girls, you know, in the state of California. It's just amazing. We have in our youth program, we probably have 85, 86 kids, probably 35 are girls. You know, it's just it's just uh, I don't know how I, I diverted this to a, a women's no, no. wrestling, but but uh yeah, no. So I just said, I, I love the, the world championships. It's exciting to me. I love freestyle. You know, some people are not as into the, into the freestyle, but if you start watching it, you, you get hooked pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's, they just came out with this, the, the statistics on high school participation and no surprise women's wrestling is just <clears throat> exploding. So what are the uh, numbers? What are the numbers? I think it was almost 50,000 women wrestlers and 15 years ago, it was 5,000. Yeah. I know the last year it was like 60 some thousand. So I think your numbers are off, but I will see. I don't know. We'll have to check that. Yeah. I'm going to be no. disappointed. I'm going to be disappointed if it's only 50. It may be more because it's, it was all up and to the right. And uh, yeah, I mean, our, our women's team, Amit and Laura, there's some studs there. So that'll be, uh, that'll be exciting to see how they do. Um, you mentioned you're a reader, any books you like or any books topics you're reading these days? No, I do. I like I like scientific type of journals and things like that. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a little <laughs> bit of a nerd. I I I get online. I read. Uh, I like science. I really do. No, and not science fiction. Like like sleep science, like like nutritional stuff, or just all kinds. Uh, of stuff? my son is a, a physicist, and so I try to kind of keep up on some stuff. And he's he's finished up his PhD at at uh, Ohio State. So I'll go on and and you know find out what's going on in the. In the, the CERN <laughs> over in, over in Europe or the Fermi Lab or I mean some of these things you know, I'll just come arbitrary Rob you know come wow. up with some particle physics theory you know I mean and and, and I only have a a very layman's ability to understand it because the math boggles yeah. my mind, um, but it, I just I just really enjoy that type of stuff. Did you watch the uh, the the movie that came out this summer? I can't think of the guy's name right now. Uh, Hot, no, not Heisenberg. Um, Oh, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Did, you, Oppenheimer. did you watch that one? I haven't. I haven't seen that one. No, no. Okay. But uh, but when I was at uh, when I was at Cornell, I I made a, a, a I met uh, Hans Bethe, who was uh, one of the lead you know researchers on the on the on Manhattan Project, and I met wow. a, another friend who was uh, I think I think Beta might have been I'm trying to think if he's in Chicago if he's in New York City. Another another physicist who. Uh, became a good friend who, who who worked on a small part, and then they separated that Manhattan Project into many many different components because they didn't want everybody to know and uh, know what they were working on because it was such a huge secret. Although mm -hmm. some of the stuff going on down in Los Alamos, Los Alamos was so massive they had to know. But uh, he did, he figured it out by you know, by deduction, you know, by figuring out well it, it can't be for this, it can't be for that, and it was fascinating his thought process of figuring oh, wow. out deductive reasoning and figuring out how he was able to, to realize what he was doing. I don't know if he was working on heavy, heavy water or any of that. I don't know how he, what, what, what he was working on, but it was, uh, uh, it was, he was there. Those they're all, they're all dying off or died off by now too. It's kind of sad. And you got to meet that guy. Yeah. Well, Hans Bader was also, you know, one of the, wow. He was, he was one of the lead lead guys. I mean, there's this, uh, you know, Cornell had, they, they used to tell the joke was, uh, 
Cornell has the two two top physicists phys- physics pro- departments in the country: the uh, physics department and the retirement community. <laughs> That's funny. It's like uh, it reminds me of the joke you told me the first time I came to Cornell that you guys are in like a some kind of like polar vortex where you don't get snow or something. <laughs> a thermal temperature inversion, a permanent <laughs> a permanent thermal temperature inversion, which yeah. is a tr- which is an actual thing, but but not not at that moment. Not a, Last, not a not a 35 31 year thermal temperature inversion. No, that's uh that's true. Last question, coach. I'm curious to hear how you answer this. Success in college wrestling boils down to what to you? Oh, that's not that's not a one answer, one word, or one phrase. Good lord. I hate I hate these little like catchy things you want me to say. You know, I mean for me, for me, and this is a you know, it's about it is about winning and people don't, oh, it's not about the process of this. No, at the end of the day, if you're doing things right, if you're bringing in the right kids and you're teaching the right lessons and you're living and their kids are living right, you'll, you'll win. So it should be part of the, it should be a major part of it. And I don't, I'm not afraid. I'm not going to back down from that. I mean, that's look that it's about winning, but it's about, you know, winning comes from, from doing everything else. Right. And so if you're, if you are winning and you're not, and I, I, I assume and I talk about building a whole family and a tradition of it. If you're doing things, if you're taking shortcuts, you might win initially. You might have some immediate success, but over time, it's going to catch you. I guarantee mm-hmm. it's going to catch you. And you see it across the country when these kids are having problems. And you're like, and you and you know darn well why the heck were they bringing? Why were they bringing these kids? Hey, Rachel, you got the wrong phone. <laughs> Good Lord. I've got three phones. I got so many damn phones here. I don't know what to do with it. I, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's so, you know, you, you have these coaches and they're like, oh, you know, you never saw that coming. I'm like, yeah, he was, you know, he'd been arrested three times for, you know, shoplifting and, and carjacking, but you know, you could fix him because he's a good kid at heart. He's a good, yeah, he's a good kid. And, yeah. and I hear my peers talk about that so often. I'm like, yeah, you knew he was really kind of high risk. And, uh, so there is a risk reward, but if you take enough chances, it's it's going to burn you. Yeah. Now I appreciate it, Coach. It's always good to catch up, and I'm very very excited for the uh, that you're going to UNC and just that the ACC is awesome, and you know Stanford's joining, and you got NC State, you got VTech, obviously. Like, man, what a what a great conference pit. So it is a great uh, conference. I I mean, for me, when I was when we were wrestling, it was UNC. NC State, nobody else. Even when Clemson was there, they were they had a decent team, but they weren't going to compete for a title. Mm-hmm. Virginia, Virginia wasn't particularly strong. Duke, uh, Maryland was never that strong, and Duke was never that strong. Now, I mean, it's a it's a dog race because you've got you've got uh, Stanford, who is going to be tough as nails. We've got three fantastic classes back to back to back, and those kids are rock hard. Those kids are not going to be backing down from anybody. And, uh, and then of course, you know, Pittsburgh with Keith's doing a great job. And obviously, uh, Brody's doing a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it just, and I already talked about NC state, my goodness. I mean, this is, this is, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. Well, we can't wait to watch and wish you nothing but the best this season, coach Cole. I appreciate you having me on. It's been uh, a lot of fun. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of wrestling changed my life. This episode was brought to you by The Wrestling Consultant, a business owned by Teague Moore to help parents and wrestlers find the right college for their future. Go to the wrestlingconsultant.com to learn more.